Welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Tuesday, February 15th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, uncovering the story behind two anonymous people whose photographs serve as instructions on the High Five Wikipedia entry. Plus, people apparently find AI-generated faces more trustworthy than real human ones. And the Idaho Potato Commission just dropped their first fragrance. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. With Valentine's yesterday, the internet was flooded with starry-eyed Instagram tributes to significant others and clickbait articles about the greatest love stories of all time, but I've got to admit that one of them got me. Annie Rewerta at Input Magazine did some excellent detective work to uncover the people behind some of the high-five photos on Wikipedia. Rewerta runs the Depths of Wikipedia account on both Twitter and Instagram, where she shares some of her favorite obscure finds, so she was uniquely qualified to uncover the identities and current whereabouts of the anonymous man and woman demonstrating proper technique for a up-high, down-low, too-slow, fake-out variation of the high-five. It's one of, fittingly, five variations listed on the page, in addition to the history of the High Five, its many debated origins, a section on National High Five Day, and a new section about human health concerns amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Lots to learn about High Fives on Wikipedia, and if you want to learn way more about the origin of the High Five, you can go back and listen to the April 8th, 2021 episode of this show, link in the show notes. It includes all of the competing origin stories and hoaxes, Magic Johnson, a gay baseball player, a women's volleyball team, American GIs in World War II. For a simple gesture, it's got a complex web of half-truths behind it. The story of the two people performing a photographic tutorial of the too slow variation on Wikipedia is not nearly as complex, but still pretty satisfying. So even without diving into the photo's metadata, it's glaringly obvious from the type of digital film and style of clothes that the photos were taken in the early 2000s. And indeed, the set of four photos are documented as being uploaded to Wikimedia Commons in August of 2008. In the first photo, you see the man and woman enthusiastically about to touch hands in an up-high high-five. In the next photo, the woman's hand is raised up and the man's is down low at his hip. In the third, the drama kicks off. The woman's hand is now down low at hip level, but the man has moved his hand back towards himself, out of range of the woman's lowered hand. She wears a look of shock, meeting his of glee. In the final photo, he rubs in his mischievous victory with a set of finger guns pointing at the dejected woman. It really is a great set of photos. Roerta explains, quote, The pictures are endearing and capture a kind of humanity you don't find in your average stock photo. End quote. Perhaps because of that, the photos have fascinated people for years and led to some minor disagreements amongst Wikipedia editors. Quoting Roerta, Today, photos from the Too Slow series are featured on Wikipedia pages in eight languages and get more than 200,000 annual views. 
A quick search of High Five Wikipedia photo shows that the images are an object of fascination for many others besides me. People around the world have noted that the pair looks a lot like Rachel and Chandler from Friends, but not everyone is a fan. In 2020, one particularly passionate Wikipedia user named Kugihot suggested that the photos be removed because they were simply a waste of precious Wikipedia public bites. Writing on the article's talk page, the forum where editors discuss the article at hand, the critic went on, quote, My main concern that is especially out of place to me is the final image, which depicts the use of finger guns, which is arguably completely and utterly irrelevant to the context of different variations of high fives, end quote. And continuing from Rauerda, To me, the fact that the photos inspired such extreme pedantry speaks to their power. End quote. And that power consumed Roerta, who says she became convinced there was nothing platonic about this high five, saying, quote, You can feel the chemistry through the screen. Just look at her smile in the first frame. Look at their gazes in the third frame. There's no way two people so young and so beautiful could exchange such a flirty high five without feeling flutters of the heart. End quote. And so she set off on an investigative journey to find out whatever happened to the two young, possible lovers. Her first big break came when she found a one-year-old comment on an Ask Reddit thread. The thread was titled, What do most people not realize is newer than they actually think? And one user accurately replied, High fives. To which another user replied, Fun fact, me and my wife, then girlfriend, are demonstrating the too slow high five on the Wikipedia high five page. If this user was to be believed, Rauerta had been spot on that the two in the photos were more than just high fiving instructors, but genuinely in a relationship and still together. But Rowerta wasn't satisfied. She wanted to find the couple and talk to them to find out the story behind the photos. With a bit more searching through Reddit, Wikipedia edit logs, and Facebook, she finally found them. Tim and Tamara Nan from Southern California, happily married with two small children. So here's the story told by Tim over Zoom. Quote, it was my birthday, and we had just come back from a birthday dinner with some friends. You can see some unwrapped birthday gifts in the background, and I'm pretty sure the shirt I'm wearing was a gift from Ben, who was the friend that convinced us to pose for the photos for Wikipedia, end quote. Ben's idea didn't stem from anyone present being particularly passionate about high fives or this particular variation. In a very early aughts kind of way, he had just noticed that that particular move on Wikipedia didn't have any photos accompanying it and decided they could add to it. Here's where it really becomes a love story, though. While they were dating at the time of the photo, they were about to break up. They were both set to start postgraduate programs in vastly different locations, California and Scotland, and decided long distance just wouldn't make sense. But after eight months in Scotland, Tim decided it wasn't for him, or maybe he just missed Tamara too much. He went back home and proposed soon after. They happily recreated the photo series for Rowerda's article and even did a second recreation with their young daughters. And this is the bit that really got me, quoting again, Tim adds that the young man in the original photos would never have believed it if he got a glimpse at these 2022 pictures. 
It was just so unlikely at the time, he writes. I was just about to travel halfway around the world for school, so our future together was uncertain. But in the end, it all worked out so perfectly. Thirteen years later, I'm married to the love of my life with two amazing daughters, and I'm happier than I've ever been. It's more than I could have ever imagined. High five. End quote. If you want to see the photos and get all the details and experience some of Rowerta's excellent jokes, the full article is at the link in the show notes. And if you don't already follow it, you should also check out her Depths of Wikipedia project on Twitter and Instagram, also linked in the show notes. And Annie Rowerta, if you're listening, I've got your next mission. I would love to know the backstory behind the photo on the goofing off Wikipedia entry. The one captioned, A man goofing off at work, playing with a fidget spinner and a ball. Who is this man? Why did he decide to upload this photo? Was the taking and posting of the photo also an example of him goofing off at work? Why is the office itself so empty and bleak? And where did he get that bag of sweet corn labeled Mmm Pop in Comic Sans type? I came across the photo because Ryan Broderick linked to the goofing off Wikipedia entry in his Garbage Day newsletter yesterday, and it seems like a spiritual sibling to the High Five entry. It's not quite as instructional, but it's nonetheless one of those entries that Roerta describes as, quote, an utterly basic aspect of everyday life that reads like it was written by a group of aliens observing human beings, end quote. And I, for one, need to know who this man is and what the story is behind the goofing off at work photo. From the EXIF data, it seems like the photo was taken in 2017 in Washington, D.C., but that is as far as my sleuthing skills had time to go this morning, so Rauerta, I hand it off to you. So this is potentially concerning. According to a new study that will appear in the upcoming edition of Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, people not only struggle to distinguish AI-generated faces from real human faces, but actually find the AI-generated ones more trustworthy. Quoting Lancaster University, Dr. Sophie Nightingale from Lancaster University and Professor Hani Farid from the University of California, Berkeley, conducted experiments in which participants were asked to distinguish state-of-the-art StyleGAN 2 synthesized faces from real faces and what level of trust the faces evoked. In the first experiment, 315 participants classified 128 faces taken from a set of 800 as either real or synthesized. Their accuracy rate was 48% close to a chance performance of 50%. In a second experiment, 219 new participants were trained and given feedback on how to classify faces. They classified 128 faces taken from the same set of 800 faces as in the first experiment, but despite their training, the accuracy rate only improved to 59%, end quote. So in the first experiment, without the training, people's guesses at whether faces were real or synthesized were roughly equivalent to a coin toss. And then even with training, it wasn't much better. New Scientist says that white faces were the hardest for people to distinguish between real and fake, and Scientific American adds that this study took great care to have samples of people across races and genders, as previous studies have focused predominantly on white male faces. 
What really surprised researchers, however, was what happened when they asked people to rate the trustworthiness of 128 faces taken from the same set. On average, the synthetic faces were rated as 7.7% more trustworthy than real ones. There wasn't a huge variance across race, but women's faces were generally ranked as more trustworthy than men's, as were people who were smiling in the photos. And the researchers think it's possible that synthetic faces looked more trustworthy because they look fairly average, and average-looking people are sometimes ranked as more trustworthy. But there's no doubt that this one-two punch of struggling to consistently discern the difference and thinking the fake ones are more trustworthy is fairly concerning as deep fake technology becomes more and more widely accessible. Quoting Scientific American, One tell for a deep fake used to be the uncanny valley effect, an unsettling feeling triggered by the hollow look in a synthetic person's eyes. But increasingly convincing images are pulling viewers out of the valley and into the world of deception promulgated by deepfakes. The startling realism has implications for malevolent uses of the technology, its potential weaponization in disinformation campaigns for political or other gain, the creation of false porn for blackmail, and any number of intricate manipulations for novel forms of abuse and fraud. Developing countermeasures to identify deepfakes has turned into an arms race between security sleuths on one side and cyber criminals and cyber warfare operatives on the other. End quote. For the researchers' part, they included some suggestions in their paper, including durable watermarks that function almost like fingerprints to show that an image came from a generative process, the development of ethical guidelines for the creation and distribution of synthetic media technologies, and a reconsideration of how unrestricted access to technologies should be. They also, quote, encourage those developing these technologies to consider whether the associated risks are greater than their benefits, end quote. A real, so preoccupied with whether you could, not stopping to think if you should kind of moment. Though Nightingale, who co-led the study, does remind us that not every single generated image in the study fooled people. It was about half and half, so they're not completely tricking us, and we might continue learning how to spot a deepfake in parallel with the technology advancing and becoming more common. Although, given how easily a lot of people fall for satirical articles and prank videos, I'm not holding my breath. But if you want a more fun, artistic, and harmless application of photorealistic AI-generated faces, Jason recently shared Hitterly Dow's Instagram account over at Kotki.org, which features human-looking interpretations of famous cartoon characters, as well as historical figures from pre-photograph days and aged-up celebrities who died young. It really messes with your head, and honestly, even knowing they're fake, it's hard to remember when looking at them, so I definitely sympathize with all the study participants who tried to guess and failed. It is not as easy as you'd think it should be. So the other day, out of nowhere, my roommate asked if Idaho actually produces more potatoes than any other U.S. state, or if we just associate them so strongly with potatoes because, well, there's not much else going on in Idaho. Now, to be fair to Idaho, there is plenty to do there, especially if you like outdoor activities. It's an amazing place for hiking and exploring with Yellowstone National Park, the Hagerman Fossil Beds, Craters of the Moon, Shoshone Falls, and so much more. But 
Idaho does also produce a lot of potatoes. A full third of potatoes in the United States, more than any other state. It's a well-earned point of pride, and the state's marketing campaigns frequently lean into the fact that most people associate them with potatoes. Case in point, last week, the Idaho Potato Commission, or IPC, released a limited-edition fragrance called Frites by Idaho. It's a French fry-scented fragrance made from distilled Idaho potatoes with essential oils and bottled up in a super-fancy-looking crystalline perfume bottle. Quoting the IPC, A recent national survey conducted by Polefish revealed that nearly 90% of Americans find the smell of French fries irresistible. Whether you're at a drive through restaurant or dining in, it's near impossible to not grab a fry and take a bite before you dive into your meal. The smell is too good to resist, explained Jamie Higgum, president and CEO of IPC. This perfume is a great gift for anyone who can't refuse a French fry. End quote. And retailing at just $1.89, about the price of a large order of french fries, the IPC adds, it's no wonder the fragrance has already sold out. So, apologies that you can't buy any right now, but I wouldn't be shocked if they bring it back given how popular it was. In the meantime, if you want other potato or french fry related swag, the IPC also sells a french fry and sauce holder combo to put in your car's cup holder, potato-shaped lapel pins, and a whole line of products featuring their mascot, Spuddy Buddy, a potato with legs and arms, including a three-foot-tall, giant stuffed version, and a golf club cover that they also market as a hand puppet. This merchandise team is, frankly, crushing it. So over the weekend, I finished reading the novel Laser Writer 2 by Tamara Shopson, which Jason has mentioned a few times over at kotkey.org. I think that's how I first heard about it. It's a novel that takes place at TechServe, the old unofficial Apple repair store in Manhattan. And while it follows the story of a fictional 19-year-old printer technician working there in the late 90s, it also includes the real history of the store and some bits of Apple's history as well. It's a quick read, and I think a lot of you listening would be into it with how it combines tech, art, and recent history. It's really compelling and gets a bit weird at times in a good way, like having parts of the printers talking and quoting philosophers to each other. And it's just a cool slice of life of New York City right before 9-11. Definitely one of my top favorite books I've read in a while, Laser Writer 2 by Tamara Shopson. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.